Would you turn with me in your Bibles to Psalm chapter 80? Psalm chapter 80. We've got three more sermons in the Psalms, and then we're going to pivot to John. So if you want to cheat, you want to read ahead, that's okay. You can go ahead. But as we come to Psalm 80, last week I said the church is an institution and an organism. Okay? The church is an institution. Jesus Christ is the head and king of the church, has given us a government, he's given us office bearers, he's given us a a law, a constitution. These things don't change. But the church is also an organism. Paul describes it as a body. Bodies grow, bodies develop, bodies bear fruit. But is that last part, the bearing fruit, Is that what we see today? Sometimes it feels like the church is in a spiritual winter. What do we do about it? We're going to pick that up in our sermon in a sentence. Lord, restore us to fruitfulness. Restore us to fruitfulness. Let's pray. We'll jump in. Almighty God, we ask this day that you would pour out an abundance of your Spirit, that we may hear, that we may love, that we may understand, that we may receive what is in your Word today, that it may be for our establishment, for our comfort, and for our holiness. Father, would you give me the wisdom needed to speak clearly and all of us to hear. Father, I ask these things in your Son's precious name. Amen. Okay, we're going to start in verse 1. Hear the word of the Lord. Give ear, O shepherd of Israel, you who lead Joseph like a flock, you who are enthroned upon the cherubim, shine forth before Ephraim and Benjamin and Manasseh. Stir up your might and come to save us. Restore us, O God. Let your face shine that we may be saved. O Lord God of hosts, how long will you be angry with your people's prayers? You have fed them with the bread of tears. You have given them tears to drink in full measure. You make us an object of contention for our neighbors, and our enemies laugh among themselves. Restore us, O God of hosts. Let your face shine that we may be saved. You have brought a vine out of Egypt. You drove it out, you drove out the nations and planted it. You cleared the ground for it. It took deep root and filled the land. The mountains were covered with its shade, the mighty cedars with its branches. It sent out its branches to the sea and its shoots to the river. Why then have you broken down its walls so that all who pass along the way pluck its fruit? The boar from the forest ravages it and all that move in the field feed on it. Turn again, O God of hosts. Look down from heaven and see. Have regard for this vine, 
the stock that your right hand planted, and for the son whom you've made strong for yourself. They have burned it with fire. They have cut it down. May they perish at the rebuke of your face. <clears throat> but let your hand be on the man of your right hand, the son of man whom you have made strong for yourself. Then we shall not turn back from you. Give us life, and we will call upon your name. Restore us, O Lord God of hosts. Let your face shine that we may be saved. And thus ends the reading of God's Word this morning. A pastor is a fancy word for someone who specializes in soul care. Now I practice soul care with a background in plant care, and those two things often overlap. Whether someone comes to see me with the sick plant or with the sick soul, you tend to ask similar questions. What should it look like? How does it look now? And now how do we fix it? So let's take a piece, Lily. If you've ever had someone die in your family, you've probably gotten a piece, Lily. And you've probably killed it. A piece of Lily should stand up like this. But someone brings it in and it looks like this. And then you begin to ask questions. When's the last time it's been water? How much water do you give it? Where's it placed in the house? You begin to ask questions to see how you can restore this plant. Now we can take these questions and apply it to the church. And that's exactly what our psalm does. Remember, the church is an institution and an organism. The institution may be well defined, but the organism... It should be growing. The church should like, be like a fruitful vine. But when we look out at the church today, we see very little fruit. How do we fix it? Let's pick that up as we ask the question. Lord, restore us to fruitfulness. What does fruitfulness look like? How do we look right now? And how do we fix it? So if the Lord is to restore us to fruitfulness, what does fruitfulness look like? What are the conditions of fruitfulness? First, we see that we were fruitful because God loved us. We were fruitful because God loved us. If you flip to Isaiah 5, you will find this same psalm told from the Lord's perspective. And in it, it says that he plucked us out of Egypt and he planted us on a very fertile hill because he loved us. Period. You see people and they say, baby, I love you because you're so good looking. Baby, I love you. You got so much money. What happens when the looks fade away and the money dries up? The love does too. But for God, He did not love us for what was in us. He loved us 
because He wanted to love us. It's a love that is infinite, eternal, and unchangeable. It's a fountain of life for us. Everything starts here. Now how did that love manifest itself? In the pages of eternity, God, the Father played the vine dresser and the Son played the vine. And the Father said, I love these plants and I want to engraft them. I want to unite them unto you. And then it was from that moment that the love of God germinated like a seed and burst the soil of human history. God loved us. Everything starts right there. We were fruitful because He loved us. But we're also fruitful because He engrafted us into Christ. He engrafted us into Christ. Christ is the root. Christ is the vine. The church is the branches. We may live and die in earthly life, but we bear no fruit until we're united to Christ. We may pay our bills. We may enjoy our pleasures. We even might take a nice vacation once a year. But this is not fruitfulness. There's a vast difference between staying alive and living well. We have forgotten that. Jesus Himself says it in John 15, Apart from me, you can do nothing. James Bannerman says, Christ is the head of the church as a source of life, breathing a spiritual breath into the body at first and holding it together ever since. Christ gives life to us. Now for us to be engrafted into Christ, certain things have to take place. There has to be some preparation. In a word, we might say that Christ had to become like us. And instinctively, we know this. Instinctively, we know that there is a heavenly life that we don't have. That there is something more to this world. It hit me like an epiphany Tuesday night. We're watching How to Train Your Dragon 2. It doesn't matter if you watch that movie. If you watch Frozen 2. You watch a multitude of movies today. The premise is all the same. There's our world. And there's another world that we have no connection to. And if we're going to have a connection to that world, there must be a bridge that is formed out of parts of both worlds. And you hear it in How to Train Your Dragon too. There's a land of dragons and there's a land of man. How do we connect the two? And it says something like this. You're the son of a chief with the heart of a dragon. And you're the one who can bring our two worlds together. Doesn't that sound very familiar? Jesus Christ being fully God and fully man, reconciling the two. You see, G.K. Chesterton has this figured out. G.K. Chesterton says this, Fairy tales 
do not give the child his first idea of the boogeyman. What the fairy tale gives the child is the first clear idea of the possible defeat of the boogeyman. The baby has known the dragon ever since he had an imagination. What the fairy tale provides is a hero to kill the dragon. Pixar and Disney are not Christian. But even they realize there's a life out there and we can't get it. But we can. Only through Jesus Christ. He is the hero that took upon himself human nature. He is the hero that was humbled for us. He is the hero that brought heaven to us. He willingly assumed a body prepared for him, and he willingly endured a suffering prepared by us. And as a wheat of grain falls unto the earth and dies to bear much fruit, so Jesus Christ was held under the power of death for three days and risen to an imperishable life that we may have fruitfulness. It is from his pierced side that there is a very fertile hill upon which every decrepit branch may blossom and bear fruit leading to eternal life. It is he who brings heavenly life to us. We have borne fruit, haven't we? We have borne fruit because we have been loved. We have borne fruit because we have been engrafted. And we have borne fruit because the Spirit prospers us. Engrafted into Christ, the Holy Spirit is that life-giving sap that flows through us to bear fruit. The church is an organism. It's a temple of the Spirit of God. And this is the place where He prospers us by word, water, and wine, or grape juice from sunflower. And haven't we seen this to be true? From the seaside of Galilee to the east side of the Mississippi, the church has prospered and borne fruit because of the work of God's Spirit. How many hundreds have come to Christ in Hines County? Not because of the charisma of men, but because of the power of the Holy Spirit working in their hearts. Look at our own lives. We've all had seasons in life where we had more fruit than we could shake a stick at. We've seen it. This is the Holy Spirit working in us. We know what fruitfulness is, but we have to ask the question, what happened? Why has God broken down our walls? Why does the church of today look like the Israel of old? What happened? If we are to be restored to fruitfulness, we must be honest about our current situation. We can diagnose it from two things to which we see in our psalm. On the one hand, we have sought other cisterns. We have drank deeply from other wells. The Father 
In John 3, 16, it said, God so loved the world that he gave him his best. He gave us his son. This is the gospel of life to us. But we have traded the gospel of life for a social gospel, for a civic gospel, for a progressive gospel, all of which are no gospel at all, which rob us of our life and lead us to barrenness. How different these are from the love of God. You know, in the 20th century, there was a famous theologian named John Murray. He lost his eye in World War I, and he had a glass eye. And it was said that if students came into his office looking for mercy, and they looked in John Murray, and they saw a gleam of mercy in his eye, it's because they were looking at his glass eye. That man had no mercy. In the same way, we look to the world. We look to the world for a sense of fruitfulness and health and wellness and sexual fantasy and political fervor. And we think that we find fruitfulness. But what we're doing is looking in the world's glass eye. There is no fruitfulness there for us. As one philosopher said, so long as we desire temporal things, we are constantly under this threat, and our fear of losing always corresponds to our desire to have. Constantly bound by craving and fear to a future full of uncertainties, we strip each present moment of its calm. You may say that by our craving and by our fear, we strip each moment of its present fruitfulness. We have sacrificed Christ anew on the altar of health and wellness, on the altar of family and fun, on the altar of sloth. And all these uncertain altars fuel our fear and they consist in our craving, and we wonder why we live in a day and an age when we have no fruitfulness. We have traded our fruitfulness for fear, and our walls have been torn down. So on the one hand, we have drank from other cisterns. On the other hand, we have grieved the Holy Spirit our sin has caused a separation between us and God. We see in Isaiah 63 that it said that God was their Savior, that He delivered them from Egypt, and what was their response? They grieved God's Spirit. We look in Ezekiel, and they are practicing abominable things in the Lord's presence. They have sins unconfessed, relationships unrestored, and what happens? The Spirit of God departs from them. We look to the book of Revelation, and Jesus stands among the lampstands of the churches, and he looks at the church and he says, I know your reputation, but you are dead. These are starved words that are terrifying to hear. As those who profess and fail to practice, will not dead branches be lobbed off? Will he not prune us so new growth may come? 
Even now the axe is laid to the root of the tree, and every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown off into the fire. The cutting down will not be easy, nor will the fire be pleasant. And even worse, the sin sown in our natural body will fester and rot into perpetuity there. Church, the situation is dire. The wild boars of pandemic and progressivism have laid us low, not because they are strong, but because God has torn down our walls. How much longer will the faithful eat the bread of tears and drink from a well of affliction until we turn and say, Oh God, turn again to us. Take not your spirit from us. Church, the situation is dire, but we may have hope. We may have dead branches. We may have rotten fruit. But there is still life in the root. From the stump of Jesse that was come down sprung a sprout whom we call Jesus Christ. And he lives and reigns in heaven and forever has life in him. The preservation of our church is tied intimately to the preservation of Jesus Christ in heaven. As long as he reigns, we have hope. As long as there is a lump of clay sitting on the throne of God, we today have hope for this vine. We can cry out today to heaven and say, Lord, have regard from this vine. Our fruit may be diseased and our branches are dead, but we have life in you. There is hope of restoration. C.S. Lewis says it like this. Every disease that submits to a cure will be cured. But we will not call blue-yellow to please those who insist on still having jaundice or to make midden of the world's garden for the sake of those who cannot abide the smell of roses. Today is the day that we turn from our rottenness and find life in the true vine. It's only through Jesus Christ that we can enjoy the smell of the roses. So today, church, it's time that we pray that the Lord restore us to fruitfulness. That we who are diseased submit to a cure. We know what fruitfulness is. We have experienced it. But we know where we are now. So where do we go from here? First, let us be honest about our situation. Only a contrite heart can say, Turn to us again, O Lord. Only those who know how bad it is can turn from help. We have models of faithfulness. We see them in the Scripture. We see them in the Ten Commandments. How do we compare? In the book of Amos, Amos points to things like drunkenness, uh, sexual promiscuity, a slew of social ills. Not because these things are primary, but because they're indicative of our relationship to God. 
We need to be honest. Let's look at our relationships. If you talk to your spouse or to those you work with or to those you interact with with vile and hatred words, hate-filled words, if we treat people we see that way, how do we feel about the God we can't see? Where are our minds and our hearts and our actions going? Many people have come to me and said, Zach, this is where I am. I know it ain't right, but it's just how it is. It just happened. Look, let me tell it to you straight, church. Sin just happens. Sin just happens. Cars just happen to break down. Maintenance requires some intentionality. Grace covers our sin. But until we call sin, sin, and rot, rot, we cannot expect grace to be grace, and we cannot expect to be restored to fruitfulness. We've got to be honest. Secondly, we've got to argue with God. We've got to argue with God. We've got to argue for, fruitful, for future fruitfulness on God's past performance. As I've pointed out many times, when Charles Spurgeon would pray, before he would ask God for something, he would thank God for what God's already done. And this is what the psalmist says. He says, God, don't you remember when our vine was so fruitful that even the mountains rested in its shade? We must do the same thing. We read in the book of Titus that the Father promised a son, a people, zealous for good works. And we know that season awaits. The vine dresser will not allow the vine to be without fruit. Jesus Christ is the root of that vine, breathing into us spiritual life that we may bear fruit. What we need today is a revival for God to breathe life in us again that we may call upon His name. He has done it. But do we believe He will do it again? Do we pray for harvest in the middle of winter? Do we earnestly seek the Lord even when it feels like He's not answering our prayers? Are we earnest? If you're not earnest, you're not interested. Today is a day that we turn to the Lord and say, Lord, restore us to fruitfulness. Lastly, we've got to get back to the basics. We've got to get back to the basics. Israel is in this condition because they let worldliness, wealth, lead them away from the basics. You know, when I was in college, we had KISS. Keep it simple, stupid. We've got to get back to the basics. We have one mission. To teach, to make disciples, and to baptize. That's it. Church, this is the key to fruitfulness. We've got to make disciples. Look, I'm not asking you to evangelize the world. What I'm asking you to do is this. Pick one person. Check on them. Take them out for coffee. Sit on the porch and yang yang with them. Get to know them. Invest in their lives. It might take four, five, six, seven, eight conversations. But take your time. Invest in someone. 
teach. Look, if you're going to teach, you've got to be taught. That's what Sunday mornings are for. Uh, you have a pastor who, who will come to your house and teach you anything you want. I'll buy you lunch every week for the next five years if it so be the case. We've got to be taught. God gives us His Word, He gives us water, and He gives us wine to teach us. We must avail ourselves to Him. Lastly, we've got to baptize. Now, none of you might be out there with water sprinkling on the heads of all your friends. But have you invited anyone to church where they may hear the gospel preached, where they may be saved, where they may become and be baptized? Christ has given us baptism not because Christ wants us to jump through hoops, but because He needs us to be strengthened. He has given us these things so we could strengthen, He could strengthen us. These are the very basics. Make, teach, baptize. If we're going to be restored to fruitfulness, we must shed ourselves of all the complexities of life and we must sacrifice and get to the basics. Church, in closing, these are hard words for hard times. But you can't put a band-aid on a busted pipe. You've got to be honest about the situation. For many of us, our lives are not fruitful. We may be successful. We may have notches in our bedpost and bills in the bank, but that's not being fruitful. Jesus, however, says, Come to me that you may have life. The world will take your life away one drink, one click, one night at a time. But Jesus comes to give us life, a fruitful life. But you must come to Him. For us as a church, are we fruitless because we profess and fail to practice? Have we found other cisterns? Today is the day we cry out, Lord, turn to us. Have regard for the vine you have planted. And for us who are fruitful, do not forsake. Do not grow weary in well-doing. Continue to pray until God replaces our bread of affliction with the fruit of our labors. The day will come when the morning sun will rise, when the harvest will be over, and we will be called home. But until that day comes, we cry out, Lord, restore us to fruitfulness. Now would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, there's a great and glorious harvest awaiting and You have planted us here. Father, we pray as Moses prayed in Psalm 90. Lord, let us see the work of our hands. Restore our walls. Pour out Your Spirit. Let us see fruit. Let us see fruit in our lives. Let us see fruit in our families. Let us see fruit in our church. Father, we ask these things in your Son's name. Amen. Would you stand with me? We're going to say one last hymn. I think it's 585. Take my life and let it be.